can turn to uh, page 23. Page 23 of your outlines. Uh, this will go to about 12 o'clock and then uh, we'll have some uh, time for questions. And then uh, we will go to uh, our, our last Bible study, which is a bit more of a, a reflection and think through, uh, so it wouldn't take uh, as much time. Let's open it in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the right of Ecclesiastes, for the challenge that that gives us in terms of the meaning or the meaninglessness of life. We ask, Father, that in this hour we might see the meaning that there is in life before you and the meaninglessness of life without. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Well, money is not the root of all evil. It's the desire, the grasping, the love of money that is the root of all evil. But friends, we don't need Christians to tell us that. The non-Christians will say that to us. The non-Christians will say that the desire for money actually is bad. Here's a book, another book called Influenza coming up on the screen. This one uh, written by a guy called Oliver James, not James Oliver, but Oliver James. And he says this, he talks about affluenza as a selfish capitalism. That's what it is. And he labels it affluenza. It is like a disease, it is like a flu that catches and then like virus that spreads throughout the affluent societies. People define themselves by how much they earn, by how much they own, by how good they look, by, by how popular, how famous they are. And he says it's a flu because it causes emotional distress. It causes damage to our mental health. Lots of statistics and stories to back it up. Oliver James' situation uh, diagnosis, I think, is right. But his cure is interesting. His cure is this. This is basically, we should be authentic, be true to ourselves. Don't care about what other people think. Just be real. Uh, actually do things that you enjoy doing and let's do this for the sake of the thing rather than busy running, running, running you know, for the sake of other people and the company. Be real, feel alive. Look after the relationships that really matter to you. Enjoy them, rather than paying too much attention to people that you'll never meet, like Kate Middleton. Be you. Take time off. Be in touch with your emotions. That is his solution and cure. Being versus having stuff. The problem with James Oliver's cure and solution is that it's based on the same assumption as the disease he's trying to solve. Next slide, thank you, for affluenza and his own solution is based on the assumption that 
This world is all there is. Affluenza, the desire to have materialism, money, the world is all there is. That's why you get as much as you can. But his solution, the desire to be the authentic, the anti-materialistic in yourself, is still based on the assumption that this world is all there is. And that's why you've got to really be in touch with you. And friends, the book of Ecclesiastes, this even the little bit we just read out, smashes this assumption, this meaning, that the world is all there is. For if the world is all there is, then the whole thing is a joke. The whole thing is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, a vanity, like a, a big, nice bubble where it just pop, you cannot grasp it or hold on to it. It is vanity. Let me just read out to you some of the phrases uh, throughout Ecclesiastes. He starts off, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. He devotes himself to labour, to study, everything that's under heaven. Uh, to be under the sun, to be under heaven, is to think that uh, this world is a closed system. Uh, there may be God in it, but death is the end. Nothing after death. This world is all there is, this life. And given that assumption, study, work, everything is meaningless. He denied himself, remember, nothing that his eyes desired had all the pleasures that a king could have. He, he achieved so much, and yet, when he got there, it was all meaningless. Last one going through life crisis, isn't it? He hated life. He says, I have to leave it to someone. Who knows whether that person will be a wise man or a fool. He says, in the end, we all will die. Like the fate of the animal is the fate of man. It all goes to the grave, and its grave is the last statement on us that it means everything we have done or not done doesn't matter. Whether you've got a degree or not got a degree, death is the end. Now, what, what can you do then? You know, write all your degrees after you on your uh, tombstone? Whether you achieve much or not achieve much, it doesn't matter. You all go to the grave. And so the grave spells a big meaninglessness and casts a shadow over the rest of our life. We eat in darkness, we go through frustration and affliction and anger. And even that last little bit of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, remember it says, that's the best thing you can have, you know, what else is there uh, but to enjoy your work, find satisfaction in your work. But notice when he says that, he's assuming death is the end. All there is in life is this life. Well, that's as good as it gets, isn't it? Might as well enjoy it because it doesn't matter if whatever you earn and own, it's all going to go, you're going to die, so you must enjoy the ride while you can. That's the argument. It's as good as it's going to get. Affluenza, materialism, money, that's not going to work. If this world is all there is, it's going to be meaningless. But what about, as um, Oliver James uh, says, what about being? What about being in touch with yourself? What about the relationships, enjoying relationships? What about that? Well, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9 coming up. Here's a great wedding passage. I don't know why no one's asked me to preach on this one. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. What a great passage for a wedding, hey? All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. 
all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life, when all your toils and labour under the sun. In the end, even relationships, that's not Everyone is going to die. <laughs> well then, where is the solution if everyone is going to end up in the grave? If everything is going to be a failure, there is a solution. The desire to have, the desire to be useless. Maybe we need to look to a little green friend of ours for the solution. Here's a little video clip uh, from episode 3. We can get the lights. <laughs> and thank you, Tim. again, that there's um, Anakin asking advice as he fears the loss of his uh, secret wife, Padme um, Portman. And um, uh, uh, who said there was no, uh, no strings attached? Um, now, what about the advice of Yoda? The fear of loss is the path to the dark side. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into this force. Mourn them do not. Miss them do not. Attachment leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed. That is. It is classic Buddhism, isn't it? It's classic Buddhism. That Yoda's really Buddha. Hey, actually, it looks a bit like him. Um, you see. What is wrong with affluenza, according to Buddhism and Yoda, is it's desire, that desire for stuff. What is wrong with uh, Oliver James's solution, uh, the desire to be, is that it's a desire, nevertheless. It's all about desire. Next slide, thank you. If this world is all there is, then it's wrong, the solution, Yoda says. Because desire itself is wrong. Buddhism, when it talks about you've got to free yourself from the suffering of this world, what it's talking about is not just you know, what we might think of suffering, but it's about free yourself from any attachment. 
any desire of this world. Because if you don't long for something, then you lose it or you won't suffer, will you? And so that's what Buddhism is. For this world is an illusion. This world actually is not there. It's just a fake. And so the sooner you come to the understanding, it's like that the world's an illusion, and therefore you know the desire leads to suffering, then what you need is detachment from this world, which is not real anyway. So he says, train yourself to let go of everything that you fear to lose. And therefore, next slide, if this world is an illusion, then desire is actually bad. What does Ecclesiastes say about Master Yoga? Ecclesiastes will not give us the luxury to think that this world is an illusion. Ecclesiastes says, this world is real. The work you do, the pleasures you have, the material things you gain, and it's real, it's real stuff. And the meaninglessness is also real. And what is really real, the one thing that is absolute, is death. That is the awful absolute that is being. That is the ugly universal thing that is there for all men. And friends, you can actually see that Buddhism in the end does not work. Because just imagine that, you know, you had a distant family member who died and you go to the funeral and you've got to go buy a card and you go to the card store. And there's a Star Wars format card there under the sympathy section, and you pick it up, and there's Yoda, and you open it, and inside it actually says, "Death is a natural part of life. Mourn them, do not. Miss them, do not." What kind of card is that? You see, Buddhism actually does not deal with the reality that is before. No, no. This world is not all there is. That is the solution that Ecclesiastes comes to. Here's the last two verses of Ecclesiastes coming up on the screen. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. There's a little twist, right? You go through all the book of Ecclesiastes and given under the sun, everything's meaningless, meaningless. You get to the last two verses, and he says, the end of the matter, that is, when all has been heard, right, he, he is the final conclusion. See, so far, when all has been heard, well, under the sun, everything in the closed system, even though there's God, everything is, if life is the end, and death is the end, then everything is meaningless. But, be God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. There is a duty, there is a purpose now. Why? Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing, whether good or bad, that is, it is not the end. There is a judgment day after death. For here in the very last verse, it's a big twist on the whole thing. It's I said 12 chapters giving you the thesis, now the hypothesis that this world is, that's all. But now, I'm saying, no, it's not all. There is hell and heaven, there is judgment day. And judgment day actually gives you meaning in life. For now everything you do in your life 
God is going to bring it into an account. It does matter what you do. It has meaning. Judgment gives us meaning to life. And therefore, if God is the judge, then what life is about, what gives meaning to life is to fear him, to, to, to obey him, to obey his commandments. That is what life is about. And so, next slide. The world is not all that there is. That's not the right solution. Number one is not the right solution. Yoda's number two is not the right solution. But the third solution is the world is real, not an illusion. But it's not all there is. There is final judgment. There is meaning to life. Fear God. The other famous book that Solomon wrote, of course, is the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, it's all about wisdom, about how to live this life God's way. And if you don't live life God's way, you know what? It's actually going to be, be good. It'll be good in that it's going to be good and moral, but also good in that it's going to have good consequences. That's the whole idea of wisdom, that there's cause and effect. Not, not karma, but uh, you, know, you have a right decision that you do certain things that are wise, and because God is the one who's hardwired our world, then a wise decision will lead to consequences. A foolish decision, action, will lead to bad consequences. This is the world that God has made. And so the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, like that with practical wisdom for life. It's about practical wisdom, like um, what you get in a manual, right? Uh, I bought a car many years ago, first time I ever bought a new car. It was amazing. This Honda I bought, there was a 70 page of the manual had safety instructions. Talk about how to use this car wisely, you see. Straight from the manufacturer, here's what it says about uh, this safety uh, instruction. Do not attach or place objects on or in front of airbag covers. Uh, where it says SRS airbag on top of the dashboard, don't put anything on top of it because they couldn't see the proper function of the airbag, or the airbags could inflate, and the objects could be propelled inside the vehicle and hurt someone. Right? Hello Kitty, you know? And so, you know, it's very, um, very wise wisdom, isn't it? The book of Proverbs is like that. Wisdom, straight from the manufacturer, straight from God, who has made us, who's made the world, relationships, marriage, God has made everything, tells us how to live in this world. Look at that introduction. Let's go very quickly through some of the things in Proverbs, just a few verses about wealth. And there's quite a bit about how there are things that are better than wealth as we live the good life under God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and in instruction. Well, how are we to fear the Lord? How are we to trust Him? How are we to acknowledge Him? Well, one way is to see that there are things that are far more important and better than wealth. Here's a few. Proverbs chapter 15, uh, 15 verse 16 coming up on the screen. Better little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Next slide. 
actually remember these quite easily. It's 15, 16, and then 16, 16, and then 17, 16. Uh, 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. Proverbs 17, verse 16. What use is money in the hand of a fool? Since he has no desire to get wisdom. How better to have God's wisdom to know how to actually live in this world than to get a whole lot of money. One is far more than, far better than the other. Friends, do we believe that? If we believe that, then if God's wisdom interferes with our business, we'll give up our business, will we? God's wisdom is the thing that is the most important thing. Anything that compromises our actually acting out and understanding and giving out God's wisdom, anything that compromises that, well, that's not worth it. That's you see it in terms of relationships in the book of Proverbs. Next slide, Proverbs fifteen seventeen. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. The ACV, right? In in the in the Bible version, ACV, you know the ACV, the Andrew Cheer version. Uh, it actually says, "Better a meal of tofu where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred." Right. Well, the next one, uh, seventeen one, makes the same point, isn't it? Better dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting and strife. So true, is it? You can have all the great food in front of you, but if the people sitting around the table hate each other, they're not talking to one another, you know, as if the kid is playing his little, uh, sort of the toy, the teenage girls are just reading their magazines, and father's, you know, reading the paper, mother is, you know, texting something. Kind of family, that, you know, it's... Not having a big house, having a hope that Or about, what about who you should choose to marry? Well, uh, yesterday there were some seminars on that, wasn't there? I heard a, uh, actually saw a, a YouTube video uh, of people being uh, randomly uh, interviewed at Orchard Road down in Singapore. These women were being interviewed, and what about, you know, what kind of man they would marry, and this woman actually said this. She said, it has to be a rich man. I will never marry a poor man, because what use is that? You might have to suffer with him. And what's the point of that? You might as well stay single. <laughs> Friends, the vow is not for richer or richer. Their career potential in the end doesn't make him a good husband, does it? Their net worth is not what makes them a good husband. Look at what Proverbs says, Proverbs 20, verse 6. Women, you know that verse in chapter 31, an excellent wife who can find, right? The men love that verse, but this is the verse for you, right, women? Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man. Who can find? Right, write down this one. And the man can come and say all kinds of nice things, isn't it? 
God, you're the most beautiful, you know, woman that I've ever met in the last two weeks. And um, <laughs> they can chat you up, they can be really charming, but it's the faithful person you look for, isn't it? The one who keeps his word, who you can trust. But in the end, marriage is about that promise that you make, that he makes to you. You may be a rich man, like Tiger Woods. My son and I call Tiger Woods a cheetah woods. Proverbs 20 verse 7. Proverbs 20 verse 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. It's the righteousness of character. It may not look very exciting, you know, moment by moment, but that is the kind of life that actually gives you blessing in your children. What about the men? Who should you look for? Well, Proverbs again gives us great wisdom. Proverbs 25, verse 24. Better to live in the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> oh, a, that, that, that's why men have very good studies, isn't it? In the corner of the roof, they get very uh, comfortable. Quarrelsomeness, what's that? That's, that's, you may be right, but you, you, you're, you're nagging and you are not, not you are... Proverbs 27.15, Proverbs 27.15, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Just wear you out. Now, men, you, you can understand, you, you believe it, well, do you believe this one? He's the very last verse, almost, of Proverbs, Proverbs 31.30. Men, do you believe this one? Charms deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's almost impossible, I think, to convert men to this one. But it's so true. Men, do not look at how beautiful she is. Ask her for a photo of her grandmother. <laughs> that's, what it, that's the reality, isn't it? When they're 18, they're not going to look any better. It's downhill from there on in. <laughs> Ask her to take a photo of herself at 18 and then blow it up and stick it on the mirror. That, that, that's, that's, that's as good as you can. And the more good-looking is, the more of your money you spend giving her plastic surgery and all that kind of thing, and makeup and... Friends, it's the heart in the end. That bit of face across the breakfast table when you're 60, it's, that is the, the person that actually, the person that actually fears the Lord. Who actually will be the wise one, who actually will be the one that's easier to love. But wisdom, you see the charms, it's the beauty. See, there's some of the, the proverbs of, of of Proverbs, uh, lots of things that are far more important than wealth or money or looks or... But Proverbs is not the only book in the Bible about wisdom. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is, uh, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. 
The Sermon on the Mount is actually a sermon about wisdom. It's about the wisdom of what to do when God's kingdom is approaching. Chapter 4 and verse 17, Jesus that goes around is preaching and he says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You double-click chapter 4 verse 17 and you get the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about how to live life in a wise way. The good life. So the Beatitudes, chapter 5 verse 2, he opened his mouth, Jesus, and he taught them. Blessed are, blessed are, you know this, isn't it? It's all about ten, five, ten times a, nine. Blessed, blessed, blessed. To be blessed is to have a good life. This is the, um, the lucky life, except Christians don't believe in luck. This is the fortunate life, except Christians don't believe in fortune either. Uh, this is the enviable life, except we don't like envy. But this is the, this is the good life that you should really want. And the characteristics, you think, it's a bit strange. It's almost the opposite to our world's definition of, of good. The poor in spirit, mourn over your sin, to be meek, uh, to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness, to be merciful to others, uh, persecuted for righteousness, first hand. It's blessed because people who are in this poor, mourning, uh, hungry, thirsting situation their situation will be reversed. But what makes it blessed is the little phrase that comes in each sentence after the word for. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now in verse 10 again, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the good life. This is the kingdom of heaven. God's rule. God's authoritative reign, God being king over this world, that is the thing that will make your life actually good. And so if you're thirsting, wanting righteousness, you, know, you want justice to be done, you want people to actually act rightly and, and not be sinful, well, in the end when his kingdom finally comes, you will get that. Of course, God's kingdom has started to invade in this world, isn't it? The judgment day, in a sense, has invaded into the present. God has come in the person of Jesus, and especially in his death and resurrection, we now live in God's kingdom. You live in the light of that. That's the best way for you to live. One example is um, uh, the rest of chapter 5. And so chapter 5, verse 20, uh, classic verse. Unless your righteousness, Jesus says, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. People are scratching their heads and saying, well, how can you know, scribes and Pharisees, they're like your MPS trainees and all your Anglican ministers, and they need to be the good guys and the moral guys and the religious guys, and yet, Jesus says, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you won't enter the kingdom. And then he gives all these examples. Now, not only getting angry, Sorry, not only, getting, not only murdering someone, but getting angry is sinful. Not only adultery, but lusting. Not only the whole lot of What's all this about? What Jesus ultimately is doing is he's contrasting the Pharisees and, and the traditions of the elders where they are trying, in the end, not to obey God. They try to draw the line. They try to minimise God's demand on them. They don't really want to obey God. They think life will be better without God and his rules. 
so, hey, I didn't murder the person. I didn't actually stab my knife into him. Hey, his guts. But that's okay. I didn't actually murder him. Jesus is saying, no, no. Living in God's kingdom is way to live. And so, you know, when, when Moses said, do not murder, you know what he means? He actually doesn't just mean, you know, do not murder. You cross the line and actually stab someone, that's right. No, no. When, when Moses says, do not murder, he actually means all the rest. That is, how are you going to love people? How are you going to be in good relationship with people? If someone has something against you, you take the initiative to try to rectify the situation. In other words, Jesus said, what Moses really meant was, obey God to the max. That is the best way to live. That is the wise way to live. It's like um, many of us learning piano when we were young. Like my son, you know, he's, I think, grade two or three piano now. And you've got to push him, drag him to do this piano practice. He's meant to practice every day. And he might come up to the piano, he actually doesn't do this, but he could go up to the piano and say, okay, I've got to practice this day. Ding! Okay, I've practiced, I've done that, isn't it? Or he's meant to practice 30 minutes after a time time or anymore. It's just good. He doesn't want to do it. However, last a month or so, he's picked up like, the ukulele, you know, the little guitar thing. And he's walking around playing it all the time. And you don't have to get him. He's learning, going on YouTube, trying to learn how to play it. And he was in the toilet, sitting down here, like, playing this thing. <laughs> you see, that's the difference. Jesus saying, obeying God, you don't have to... Hey, where do you draw the line? You love to do it. You want to. You desire to do it. It's actually the best way to live. And you know it's the best way to live because chapter 6, it talks about the treasures in heaven versus the treasures on earth, isn't it? One actually lasts. The other does not. It talks about being anxious and not being anxious. Verse 31 there, chapter 6, verse 31. Don't be like the pagans and non-Christians. They are all anxious about what they eat, what they drink, what they wear. The Gentiles, the pagans, seek these things. If you look at the, the magazines, if you look at the TV shows. It's amazing, in Australia we've got this TV show called MasterChef. I don't know if you have it here. They've got all these James Oliver ones. And they got... Now, it's nothing wrong watching those, those TV shows about food and, you know, exquisite cuisine. But when you're watching it, just think in your mind. Right? Because it's just about food. There's more to life than food. And yet, that is what we go on about, isn't it? We worry, we are anxious. We're worried about the money we owe to the mortgage. Oh, 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 it's like, you know, it's like the the, the dwarfs, isn't it, yesterday? I owe, I owe, and off to work I go. You know, it's, um, it's all about worry and anxiety and friends, the life to be envied is God's way of living. For you can actually concentrate your life on what? Verse 33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things the necessities of life, God will give you. He shall have me father, he looks after the birds, he'll look after you. The kingdom of God. For God to be king in our life, for God to be king in 
the people around us at church at Smacken in their lives we've got to king in KL as we reach out and tell the gospel to the people around us. That is what we need to seek for. That is what we in the end give us joy and meaning and that's what life is about. Now as well as in the future for the Sermon on Mount ends off doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 to the end there the great parable of the wise and foolish builder so it's all about wisdom. You know the difference between the two is? They both hear the, the sermon they both hear the word of God they both hear Jesus the foolish one hears and does not do that's folly isn't it that's a, that's a complete waste of time if we come to a conference like this uh, he talks do bible studies talk to one another about stuff even as the field challenged about stuff in the rest of our life we actually do not implement put it into practice wasted, you know, 200 ringgit or however much it was, and, you know, if you hear God's word, then implement it. And on the last day there, you see, it is those who hear and do, that is those who actually live with Jesus as king, those who actually know God's kingdom is coming in the person of Jesus and repent, it is those people who will actually survive the final judgment, the final storm. For they are those who Jesus has more rather than faith in Jesus. There's wisdom. We've looked at the Old Testament prophets briefly and Jesus' teaching and thirdly, point C, look at the Apostles Paul's teaching in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, turn with me there. As you're turning up to uh, Titus chapter 2, remember these verses from the book of Proverbs. Famous verses, isn't it? Almost my famous, uh, favourite verses from Proverbs. Thank you, Tim. Proverbs chapter 3 and uh, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes like Eve was, remember, seeing that, that fruit as though it was good to eat, that, that forbidden fruit. Don't be like that. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And notice this. This will bring health to your bodies and nourishment to your bones. That kind of physical metaphor, is it? Where, you know, you've got to wait. In the end, you're going to wake up in the morning and it's just going to feel good and it's like your body, you know, going through a lot of exercise and you're going to have healthy bones. It's not like you know, when you've got a broken arm, so when your arm's actually fixed, it's, it's nourishment. It's Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, uh, Titus, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Look at the little footnote in your Bible. It actually literally is. Teach what is in accord with healthy doctrine. I think it's a play on uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Here in chapter 2 is the healthy way to live. What is this healthy doctrine? Notice this doctrine, right? You think doctrine, doctrinal, theoretical, boring, 
No, no, it's actually healthy. What is this healthy doctrine? Look at chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared. It's all about God's generosity. Where we start at the beginning of this weekend, isn't it? God being rich in mercy in grace. For the grace of God has appeared. It's, it's not some general idea. No, it's actually come into history. It's appeared. Bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Read that again. That's very strange, isn't it? The grace of God, right? Whether you go to heaven or not, it's not about what you do. It's about God's generosity to you, his undeserved favour. It's bad people who make it to heaven because Jesus has forgiven them. Yet the grace actually trains people to be saying no to ungodliness. It's amazing, isn't it? Some people think, oh, you know, you just give up this free kind of salvation. Wouldn't people just sin more? Wouldn't people just, you know, hey, all good, you know? It doesn't matter how good or bad I am, let's be more bad. If I'm more bad, then God has more to forgive, and, you know? Uh, it's like a, a, a repair shop near city. It actually has a big sign, uh, you smash them, we fix them. And so some people go through and oh, well, we sin, and it's God's job to forgive us. Let's sin some more, so God will forgive us more. We usually think grace leads to more sin. But here's the opposite, no, no, it's the grace of God. They'll actually train us to say no to sin. But when you actually realise how generous God has been in giving us this son, this son, sin is not a nothing for his son paid for our sin. So if we actually in any way understand that, we will actually be those who say no to sin. And then look at verse 13. We are those who wait for the future, the certain hope, the coming of Jesus our God and Saviour. And notice what this grace, this gospel does. It's about this Jesus, verse 14, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people, for his own possession. Remember the idea of the treasure, that we are God's special possession? The inheritance that we are? That's what, see, this is the doctrine that is healthy, that is actually good. But this is the gospel message that moves us to live a life that is zealous for good works in the verse 14. What are these good works? Women, you can turn off for a little while. Here's a little instruction for the men. Unless, of course, women, you're looking for a man to marry and trying to work out what kind of practice you have. Chapter 2, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Not drunk. Having your head steady. Being someone who is dignified. Someone who goes and pursues the right direction relentlessly. Or down in verse uh, 6. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. In the same side, it's self-controlled. You're not just doing what you feel like doing, but someone who's steady and faithful. And or down in verse 9, slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, to shame all good faith, so that they can, in everything, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Men who have work will actually 
be those who are faithful at work. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Not, not stealing from people, but being trustworthy. Men who don't mind being slammed. It, notice again, verse 10 there. It's not how successful you are as an engineer that makes people become Christians. Even the slave here can adorn, can make the gospel attractive by the way in which we trust for a man who's going to be gotten like that. What about the women? What does it mean to be zealous for good works? Well, look at verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behaviour, not slanderous or slaves to much wine, they're to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, fine, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Not too much wine. You should think of men getting drunk, isn't it? But sometimes women can be addicted to alcohol as well. They're to love their husbands. You think, oh, well, yeah, fair enough for the command to love their husbands. Husbands sometimes are um, Not just love, but also submissive to their husbands. Oh, that, that's asking a bit more, isn't it? Verse 4, you've got to command the women to love their children. Well, that's interesting. Especially at 3am at night. It's a good verse to have, isn't it? And then there's that little phrase in verse 5 that I think it's even more uh, countercultural even sometimes in churches. The little phrase, working at home. This is the wise and healthy way to live with them. It's not being the great person out there chasing your career, finding yourself somewhere in your job. It's the woman who sees that once she has children, the focus is at that husband. Now, nothing that's wrong with doing some economic work. Remember Proverbs 31, that lady, you know, who does everything except for sleep, and that lady, uh, she, she does do some uh, real estate and she sews and sells things and nothing wrong with some, some work. And, but notice Proverbs 31 lady does it for the sake of that the family may be clothed and not uh, worried about the cold. And it's family focus rather than me focused at my there is that focus, there's that difference between men and women. I don't think you can flip it around and have house husbands. There's different roles for men and women. It is the way in which our maker has made us different. It is the ways to be expressed in marriage as well as in family. Friends, in the end, we want to give what is best for our children. Uh, loving parents. The question is, what actually is the problem? Bigger home, more toys, in the end, it's not going to Because we have only a short window of opportunity. Even the researchers say, the non-Christian researchers have seen that it's in the first few years of someone's life. That's where all their personality is getting moulded. That's where their, their security and you have got some opportunity to do that. You cannot actually catch up on it later on. Read the instructor's language. 
Now, some people argue, maybe this is first century stuff, you know, poor, you know, Pharisee, man-hater, woman-hater kind of person, you know, um, patriarchal society. We're different now. We're 20th century. We've moved on. We're you know, further down the evolutionary chain. We, but remember verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, and then he goes through the gospel. That is, verse 1 to 10 is based on verse 11 to 14. It is all based and comes out of the gospel message itself. It is, after all, that, verse 5, which will bring honour to the word of God. Or if you do these things, you won't bring the word of God into disrepute. The word of God will not be reviled. And it is in the end a gospel issue. It is in the end sound, healthy, living. We trust the wisdom of God. For this is the good living God. This is the life that is to be lived, the good life. This is the truly rich and satisfying life. Healthy, the way to live. It is to recognise the reality of our world that God has made Yes, it's a fallen world, but it's still God's world and still his heart wired his wisdom into it. And especially as we see God not only as our creator, but as our saviour. How much more we should follow his wisdom. And especially when we see that this world is not all there is, there is a world to come. So that even when we go through persecution, we can still continue and have comfort and go on. This is the best way to be. Well, then let's wrap it up. One way of wrapping it all up, uh, don't worry about all the points under the point three, I'm going to change all that. One way to uh, wrap it all up is to uh, talk about tigers. So we've seen in um, Proverbs that we are not to go for tiger prawns, right? Or to life and food. Um, tiger air is what we should fly, not first class Malaysian air. We've seen in Proverbs that uh, don't worry about tiger woods. We've seen in Titus 2 here, women, watch out for that tiger beer. And and watch out about being tiger mums and just wanting your children to have good education. So we can follow tigers all the way through. One day I'll have to talk about tigers. But a better way to summarise all this is to come back to the idea of desire. Remember at the beginning? Remember we're trying to work out what actually is the, the way to think about life? Next slide, thank you. Is it that the world is all there is? The desire to have, or maybe the desire to be is better? Or is it Yoda's view of the world? The world is an illusion, therefore desire is bad. Now that we've seen, neither of those are going to work, but rather point three, the world is real, it's not an illusion. But the world is not all there is, there is something more. And what is the thing that is more? Well, look at Proverbs 4, verse 5 to 9 coming on the screen. Notice here what it says about desire. Is desire bad, like Yoda thinks? Proverbs 4, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. 
you not forsake wisdom. She will protect you, love her. She will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, then get wisdom. That cost all that you have. You understand it, esteem her, embrace her. It's like he's saying, desire her, doesn't it? Or Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, the next slide. Do not worry, saying what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. The pagans run after these things. Do not worry, do not run after. But, verse 33, seek first. In other words, worry about the kingdom of God. Run after the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's about desire and chasing something, isn't it? Titus 2 verse 14. Part of that doctrine, remember, at the end is Jesus gave himself to redeem us from the lawless way of living, to purify for himself a people that's his inheritance, who are zealous. Zealous is that passion word, isn't it? Who desire to do good work. In fact, friends, the word zealous is very close to the word jealous. Zealous, jealous, really the same sort of English uh, root. The husband who's jealous for his wife. The person who's zealous for something. Hatchment leads to jealousy, a shadow of greed tactics. Yoda thinks this attachment, this jealousy, this greed is a bad thing. But what does Master Jesus say? Master Jesus says, there's no slide, but Master Jesus say, attachment is good. Attachment to God's wisdom. Get it, embrace it, love it. It leads to jealousy or good works. The shadow of the greed for God's kingdom. That is found as life, thank you. The world is free. Yet it's not all that there is. Desire, actually. But what we desire is the Lord's wisdom. Good works. Want that to the mass. See, that is why as Christians, we do not have to draw lines, we do not have to force people to do things, we do not have to push you by law, by legalism to do things. And seeing how rich that is, and how it is to us. We are trained to desire God. That is the best way to live in terms of eternity, and what wiser decision can you make than to make your decision that I hope many of you have made, all of you have made, that are wiser than Einstein. You're wiser than Bill Gates. For on the day of judgment, you, the simplest Christian, is wiser than any non Christian. For you have made the one decision that's going to take you to eternity in heaven rather than eternity. But even in this life, it's wise. It's the best way to live. If we're not worshipping God, we're just worshipping the idol. The best way not to worship the idol is to desire God. 
Our Father, we do thank you for the great wisdom that you give us in your word that is actually the best way to live now. Help us, Father, to so put it into action, to test it, and to see that your way is actually good. That's the best way, that's the blessed, that's the enviable way to live. Please, Father, give us that motivation that comes out of knowing your riches towards that you are the God who is so gracious and that you tell us how to live for Please give us that desire. Help us to see that desire is not but it's what we desire. That is it. So we pray that we will be the rich kids who desire to live for And we pray these things We've got about 10 minutes or so for questions. So uh, do uh, fire away uh, questions that you might have about um, any of uh, today's talk or uh, over the whole weekend. Questions, comments? No questions is good. Yes. Joseph, is it? Thanks. You remember me. I still, uh, one of your uh, examples still in my mind that you told that somebody uh, have to live faithful, faithfully in their career and have to, and on the otherwise, have to be a successful Christian. This is some kind of reverse. And uh, how do you elaborate more to apply this in uh, our life? Okay, so uh, a couple of days ago I sent uh, home the CEO whose uh, motto in life uh, was to um, be faithful as a Christian but be really successful in his uh, career. And he's now sort of understood it's the other way around. Uh, it's got to be faithful in your work and really aim at being successful in Christianity in terms of, you know, desire God and his kingdom. So the question is how do I elaborate it in terms of how it works out, is it, or or to defend the position. How, how to work it out? Okay. Um, how to work it out is to see that um, what God requires of us in work is to put uh, food on the table and to support our families so that they're not starving, etc. It's just to fulfill basic needs. And um, that is what work is about. That is when all the um, message that comes to you that says to you work is more than that, you can say yes, yes, yes. Now do the Chinese yes, yes, yes. But think in your mind, right? Because these guys are just trying to manipulate you. Now, they've done their MBAs. MBAs is all about how to use people, uh, uh, human resources. Um, uh, it, it's... They know how to manipulate you so that they can get more out of you. And what you end up doing is you spend your 40, 50 years of your working life for the shareholders who you don't even know. So you're just going to say, look, all this career, you know, all that fulfillment and work is just not what work is about. Work is a lot more basic. 
that will actually free you to then make decisions, to make decisions for emotions, to make decisions to not worry about getting a promotion, to be happy that everybody else is going ahead of you, uh, to be happy that to be happy that you can actually have time enough off to actually see your children, see your wife, to, to maybe, you know, if you are in your own business, you work it out so that you can actually live on less. And therefore, uh, I know a man back in, in our church, he's uh, gone to do some internet stuff with his own business so that he can actually free himself up a day a week. He's only working four days a week now, so the extra day he can... Uh, help the, the students at the university, comes on the campus, things like that. Um, it just frees you up to actually seek first the kingdom of God. To see that you know, you're not trying to be a successful whatever. Does that make sense? Other questions? And women, once the trouble with women uh, in our day is uh, that they want to be men. They're not satisfied with the curse on women to have pain in childbirth. They want the man's curse as well, right? <laughs> the thorns and thistles of work. Um, but it is the men's desire for career that has created that. So, if you're a home mum, no one pats you on the back. Right? And you do all these things which are very repetitive, you know, wipe away bottles and noses and feeding and all, and no one thanks you for it, except your good husband, is it, who thanks you for it. Um, and you're not getting paid for it, so it must be not very worthwhile and no value at all. No one's paying you for it. And, you know, if you're in a party and they ask, what do you do? And you say, oh, Housewife? No, you should say, I am a housewife, so then, you know? <laughs> Forget the just. You're not just anything. It's just being a housewife. It's God's way. That's what, that's how you should be. And so, you want to do it. Yeah, so, um, I want women not to have careers, and I want men not to have careers. They just need work, jobs. And you know, women, you are the ones who are able to do full-time ministry. It's great. Your husband's helping work, 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 so that you can be at home doing full-time ministry to your children. Isn't that good? Right. See things around the other way.